Mr. Johnson, are you ready to talk about a few things? Are you ready to talk about the incarnation? Are you ready to talk about the Holy Spirit? Well, I'm glad you're ready to talk all about that on 2-26-2023, where we're cha- covering chapters 5 and 6 of Knowing God by J.I. Packer, the <laughs> Signature Edition. Funny, 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 funny. <laughs> wow, I can learn English. <laughs> you were called a different name and blah, blah, blah. And you're going to hell and I'm going to hell six times over because I got six tattoos. So do you want to do the intro, Mr. Josh Brewer? What was my name? Mr. Josh Brewer. Almost Johnson Brewer. I was yeah. going to say, it's not like he was going, Josh Johnson. Yeah, no, Josh. It, it almost was Johnson Brewer. Power Rangers. I keep confusing you and your husband's name. Mr. Josh Brewer. I know it is tough. It's one of those things where I think everyone in the world has just learned to accept that you and Josh are two sides of the same coin. Yeah. Oh, 100%. And Amy realizes that she is married to both of you. Poor Amy. (laughs) I know. Poor, poor Amy. (laughs) It it was uh, definitely, yeah, poor Amy on that wedding. She lost. She, she, yeah, she but today, this month, we're covering chapters five and six of J.I. Packer's Knowing God. Now, chapter five is a meaty, 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 thick boy. Oh, okay. He Chapter five is thick with like 10 C's in there. Thick. Yes. Yeah. And good. it's not in the good thick way. <laughs> no. It, it is a very meaty and heavy chapter. But it is an important one. In chapter six, well, when we get there, I'll, I'll explain a little bit more why I think it was a good chapter, why it was important as well. Mm-hmm. Ch- chapter six. Um, now, this week, I'm trying something new. I asked AI oh, okay. to summarize chapter five for me. Yeah. And it did a pretty good job. So let me read you the summary that AI generated, and then we'll get into chapter five. Okay. Okay. So chapter five is called is calling is called God incarnate. And here how is how, and when I say the AI in this case, I use the AI that was built into my note taking software to generate this. I didn't use Chat GPT. I thought about it, but I didn't use it for this. I used Chat GPT for chapter six. However, chapter five of Knowing God is titled God Incarnate. In this chapter, Packer talks about the importance of understanding the concept of the incarnation of God in Jesus Christ. He emphasizes that the incarnation is not just a theological concept, but a reality that has practical implications for our lives as Christians. Packer explains that the incarnation means that God became a man in Jesus Christ. He argues that this is a unique and unprecedented event in human history. He goes on to explain why this event is so important for Christians. First, the incarnation shows us that God is not distant and remote, but he is intimately involved in our lives. Secondly, the incarnation provides us with a perfect example of how to live a godly life. Third, the incarnation enables us to have a personal relationship with God. Packer also addresses some common misunderstandings about the incarnation. He explains that Jesus was not just a good moral teacher, but he was actually God in human form. He also refutes the idea that Jesus was only a spiritual being and did not have a physical body. In conclusion, Packer argues that the incarnation is a foundational truth of the Christian faith. He encourages Christians to meditate on the reality of the incarnation and to let it transform their lives. I'll be honest. I thought it was a pretty decent summary of chapter five. I don't know what Aaron thinks about it, but that's... Uh, hey, man, it's at least something I can understand. <laughs> <laughs> it's at least something you can understand. I, I get it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, chapter five... Started off with the term that I was like, wait, 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 right in the second paragraph. I didn't know what it was, so I had to look it up. A uh, Roman gibbet. Yeah, yeah. Nope. You don't know what that is? Nope. Okay, that's why I figured. I didn't know it either. A gibbet is an instrument of public execution. This includes a hmm. guillotine, an executioner's block, a impalement stake, hanging gallows, or relaying scaffold. In other words, this case, what it says, one man expiring on a Roman gibbet, the cross. That's all it means. Mm-hmm. That that's that's all he means. He 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 had to sound fancy. Yeah, sounds about right. 
So I, I, I want, if you're reading the book at all, I'd, I'd say it's worth it so far. Uh, that I'll say so far. Um, I always have the right to change my vote later. <laughs> but I, I was like, okay, what the heck is a gibbet? <laughs> and yeah. this is the one time this week I did actually mark up my book. And you see there's a question mark right next what to the line that says is, gibbet. What is this? Figured it wasn't good. Yeah, I guess I didn't know specifically what a gibbet was. So I wanted to address that right away because gibbet, gibbet, gibbet. It well, sounds like that. I'm saying ribbit. <laughs> frog. Where he's not talking about a frog. He's <laughs> talking about a cross. <laughs> Completely different thing. Oh, yes. With that out of the way, that one piece out of the way, that piece of trivia, now I have a thing to say, what is a gibbet, good sir? And I hope to hear a good answer. What stuck out to you about chapter five in this book, Mr. Johnson? I mean, I was kind of straight to the point of how it's talking about the importance of um, Jesus being both God and man. And that's what was just, Ugh, just hurting my brain so much going back and forth. And now I already forgot the name because I have dead space on the mind. <laughs> kenosis. Um, kenosis. Is that rude? That's what the theory of kenosis, right? Yeah. So was, the theory of kenosis, is that in this chapter or is that in chapter six? This is this chapter. It is. Okay. It's on page 59. All right. Yeah. Okay. I couldn't find it. So, so first off, do you know what kenosis is? Oh, gosh. Well, I did. Do I remember? No. Okay. <laughs> oh, so this so-called kenosis theory, kenosis being Greek, the Greek word for emptying. The idea behind it in all its forms is that in order to be fully human, the son had to renounce some of his divine qualities. Yes. Otherwise, he cannot have shared the experience of being limited, limited in space, time, knowledge, and consciousness which is essential to truly human life. Okay. Uh, the theory has been formulated in different ways. Some have argued that um, the son put off only his metaphysical attributes, omnipotence, yes, omnipresence, omniscience, retaining the moral ones, justice, holiness, truthfulness, love. Others uh, have maintained that when he became man, he renounced all his specifically divine powers and his divine self-consciousness too. Though in the course of the, his earthly life, he reacquired the latter. So yeah, so kenosis is essentially saying it's it's he a removed some aspect of yep emptying of himself. Yes. Now, the one thing that. I, this is on the next page, on page 60 here. Mm -hmm. uh, this, this phrase stuck out to me, so I did a little digging. Because I was like, what? I, have you ever heard of the Phillips translation of the New Testament? I had never heard of this until mm. I was reading through this book. So the Phillips translation of the New Testament was essentially done by an Anglican, uh, I believe it was a priest, one man back in the 50s. Okay. And he, it was a one-man translation of the New Testament. And the phrase that stuck out to me goes, the Phillips, Phillips and King James renderings of Philippians 2.7 are correct interpretations of Paul's meaning. In other words, what he's saying is these two are correct. The others that say other things are not so much. So King James Version says, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Uh, the Phillips translation says, but stripped himself of all privilege by consenting to be a slave by nature and being born as a mortal man. That's what those two translations say. The other ones that obviously he's not a fan of, they all ha have one word in common. Mm. Except, he doesn't talk about the New King James. But New King James also, all, King James probably fits in right in there because it says made himself of no reputation, right? But the other ones all have one word in, in common: emptied. Oh. And so uh, you know, I because like so ESV, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. The ASV, 
but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of men. The Young's literal translation, but did not empty himself, the but did empty, I'm sorry, mm. but did empty himself, <laughs> the form of a servant having taken in the likeness of men, having been made. That's a mouthful. The mm. Christian Standard Bible. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking the likeness of humanity, and when he had come as a man. Uh, the 1890 Darby translation. But emptied himself, taking a bondsman's form, taking his place in the likeness of men. Mm. And the note I wrote for that is this. Packer asserts that the King James and Phillips translations, and I wrote in here, never used that one before, um, are, are the correct translations. This is a dangerous assertion as they're basing theology on one, an older translation, the King James, and the Phillips translation, which was done by one person back in the 1950s. Now, this translation, I'm not saying it's bad. I haven't read it or anything, right? It was originally done as a way to help his youth group read the Bible. Um, it was. New Testament only. The Old Testament was not translated by him. New Testament only. I'll say, grain of caution against using only one or two translations, especially when they are biased to fit your desire to read things as you want to into the scripture to fit your theological, you know, thing. Mm -hmm. I get what he wants to say here, but because he doesn't like this kenosis theory, to be honest, <laughs> from reading it. Right. Because he does say, but the kenosis theory will not stand. Yeah, yeah. I was like, eh, I, I get what he's going at. I get what he doesn't like about it, but I think part of it is valid. But uh, that that's a, what you call a secondary issue. That's not a primary issue. This isn't something that would cause, like if he was still alive, you know, this wouldn't be a thing that I'd say, away from me, you evil, wicked person. It'd be like, <laughs> hey, you know what? I don't agree with you on this, but hey, guess what? We can still worship God in the church together. It's not like... It'd be like, oh, only one of us can stay in the church. It's like, okay, hey. You must leave. Yeah. Him not being like, a, I don't know if like some people viewed it as worshiping two gods in a sense that like they separate the son and the father kind of thing. Okay, so he's like, talking about how he, some other that? places, uh, he's talking about this, I believe, on uh, page 53. He says, oh, this is the real stumbling block in Christianity, the incarnation. It is here that Jews, Muslims, Unitarians, Jehovah's Witnesses, and many of those who feel the difficulty concerning the virgin birth, the miracles, the atonement, and the resurrection have come uh, to grief. Uh, nope, I'm thinking of somewhere else completely different um, than what you were just talking about. Okay. I say it's funny because I just found that, uh, yeah, paragraph where you're reading from. Okay, so there's a part also at the bottom of page 52 where, it's, okay, so yeah, the last paragraph of page 52 is, or again, take the virgin birth, which has been widely denied among Protestants in this century. How, people ask, can one possibly believe in such a biological anomaly? <laughs> My, I guess, response to that was, you know, what do these other people then believe or whatever? Because, I mean, there's people that literally just believe that the universe has something to do with their life here on Earth and stuff like that. So I guess <laughs> my one thought was, I guess, what's so much more crazy about believing this than you believing some crazy thing that will as a... The whole something came from nothing, you know, well, whatever. Notice what he says, though, here. Hmm. It, and it's right in there. That This is the crazy part that makes it weirder, okay? Mm -hmm. Which has been widely denied among Protestants. Yeah. What does that mean? Gosh, I, it's, I don't even know. What, what are Protestants? I'm trying to remember. I don't know. So there's Catholic? Yes. And then Protestants. Protestants, yeah, I Christians are not a Catholic, essentially. They follow the Reformation. So that could include right. your Baptists. That can include your uh, Methodists. That can include... In other words, what he's saying is modern Christians, yes. regardless of the denomination other than Catholic, so those can include Ang Anglican as well. He's saying modern Christians of this century yeah. deny... The virgin birth. The virgin birth. He's not saying non-Christians deny it. He's, he's saying, just saying Christians, Christians in, amongst... Well, and then even then, I guess what? Ah, that's true. That's a good point. I didn't think that far ahead, or not not think that far ahead, but just didn't 
I guess in the end, they don't believe necessarily in the whole universe stuff. But I'm curious now as to then what do they believe? How did Jesus come to be? And this is where it, it starts to get interesting because there's all these various divisions in the church. And that's why he wrote this this book, right. this chapter, I should say, specifically, mm-hmm. is because there are people who try to basically say Jesus is just a good a good man, a good, a good, yeah, a good teacher, uh, even in mm-hmm. even in some of the Christian denominations. They don't put as high an emphasis on it for whatever reason. I, I, I don't know why. In that, and to be honest, I don't deal with a lot of Protestants in, of that mindset. Mm-hmm. I've heard of it. Right. I know it's not. I've known a few people, but it's not something that I come across normally. That's so weird to me. I mean, there's like, so there's the, what, the unification movement, I believe it's called. Unification Church, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was a church founded in South Korea. Doesn't teach that Jesus was born, born of a virgin birth. Right. So it's, it, and usually these Protestant groups that do this, more than likely, I'm not saying 100% of the time, but more than likely have an ulterior motive in it. Probably a little culty, probably a little, you know, mm. doing some things. So interesting. So that, and that's okay. why he says right away, at, in, at the start of this chapter, he says, many make faith harder than need be by finding difficulties in the wrong places. Where mm-hmm. are these wrong places? He's talking about miracles and all that. He says, the real difficulty is in the Christmas message of incarnation. <laughs> Jesus of Nazareth was a true, truly and fully divine as he was human. Mm-hmm. I'm paraphrasing. There's a lot dot, dot, dots in there. Uh, basically, I just summarized one paragraph from page 53 to into that little sentence. There's a lot of dot, 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 dot. (laughs) Yeah. And he goes, this, this being the truth of the incarnation is the real stumbling block in Christianity. He says, virgin birth, miracles, atonement, resurrection have come to grief. But once incarnation is grasped as reality, these other difficulties dissolve. Now, I, I guess that's a really high view of people that, oh, once I believe the incarnation fully. These other things, such as we'll miracles, just, are, will just fall. There are some people who it's going to still be hard for. But what he's trying to say is, unless you fully grasp and believe in the incarnation, you can't believe in these other things. You can't believe in these the miracles. Resurrection. The atonement, the resurrection. You yeah. can't believe that Jesus walked on water. You can't believe that he fed the 5,000. You can't believe any of this because your foundation is insecure. Is- Right. And that's what Which he's I get. Yeah, there. I get what he's. Yeah, I get that. I did uh, <laughs> like the little section where he talks about the Christmas story. Where so the story is usually prettied up when we tell tell it Christmas by Christmas, but it is really rather beastly and cruel. And oh. like, uh, oh, sorry, on page fifty four in the first paragraph of who is this child and. Like looking back on it, I, I'm. This is one thing I guess I was. I'm kind of curious of. Was like, I wonder how he was told about it and whatnot, or like the whole Christmas uh, nativity scene and all that stuff. Right, was taught to him because, like, looking back through like school and Sunday school and all this other stuff. I guess yeah, I was never told about kind of like just like the reality of of what it was really like where obviously you heard about how you know they were denied a room at at the inn whatever because it was full and they just went to some little manger thing or whatever yeah like i never thought about just like well one how (laughs) sick that is on a human level where it's like you're gonna deny this lady who's about to pop like, no, you can't stay here get kind of thing. It's like, how who would do something like that to somebody? One, that's terrible. And um, then two, to give birth out in a manger. Yeah. With all these animals around. Now it's dirty. This is disgusting. Biological fact here, you know, when that happens, there's a lot of l- let me put this way, discharge. L- l- we'll make it nice. <laughs> okay. That's gonna get stuck yeah. in the hay and smell and oh yeah. Yeah, it's dirty. It's gross. Yep. You'll probably have animals sitting down there going, ooh, tastiness. I'm yeah. hey. 
<laughs> yeah, for real though. So it's uh, like seeing the picture of, you know, Christ being born and just like getting a better understanding of the circumstances and stuff. It's like, and you realize who this is that is being born here. It's like, wow. <laughs> right. Talk about, I guess the, I, well, you could say humble beginnings or whatever. It's just like, goodness. And that's why he says it's purdied up. Yeah. It's so. They it, put a oh. lot of lipstick on that pig. Yeah. <laughs> to bring it up to a modern colloquialism. It's like, oh, yeah, it's just, oh, it's just a manger. It's probably nice and cozy. No, no it's probably cold. None and... of the above. Yep. So I I, I like that little <laughs> snippet. I was like, ain't that the truth? That's, man, that's just with any. Granted, for Sunday school and stuff like that, at a certain age, it's like you don't want to necessarily dive into all of the real nasty situations of the Bible. But. Can you imagine, Mr. Johnson, you have a kid? And your son comes up to your future wife. Mommy, mommy, mommy. Guess what we learned in Sunday school today? What is it, little Aaron Jr.? We learned that Mary's water broke in the manger and she spilt all over. Yeah. Well, at least that one I wouldn't be so upset about. But yeah, uh, but, but still, there's age appropriateness too. You'd be like, wait, what? What? Yes. You're you're fifth grade or no kindergarten. You shouldn't be learning about this. <laughs> yeah, it's it. That yeah, that's <laughs> just so funny. And that's the thing though. I was like, I never ever remember like anything changing though, as far as like all the Bible stories and stuff like that. Like the whole setting never changed. It never like I guess this whole sense of realness was never added brought into right. it. It was just in the way we think yeah. about it with the manger scene. Yeah. Like we think about it in the terms of when we celebrate Christmas. Right. Yeah. And everything's all. But if you think yeah. about that, right. Okay. Yeah. A manger in the middle of winter would be darn cold. Well, yeah. But that's when we I celebrate even... it. Right. The actual. A lot of. There's a lot of debate. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, of when so, the actual so, birth of Christ it, was. But a lot of people seem to think it's like a summer spring thing. Yeah. Which at least makes it means it'd be at least hopefully warmer. Well, that's, I, I can't even point to where on a map he would have been born in Bethlehem. Well, no, I, no, I know that, but like, I don't know where it is along, I don't know, Maybe on more. a map as far as where is it to the equator and all this other stuff. Uh, I don't know. Bethlehem you, you, is. you need some geography lessons, sir. Last time I took a geography class was in seventh grade. <laughs> Why? Because high school never had anything for it. <laughs> oh, you are. Uh, I know the Middle East. You know the Middle East. Congratulations. Uh, I know where Asia is. Do you? Sure. Do you really know where it is? Somewhere across the ocean. So would it be? What? Hey, there it is. Good job. I'm sure. Well, yeah, obviously it'd still get cold during winter time. Yeah. It's put this way, the, obviously not directly, but it's like about your Missouri, Texas border. Yeah. So yeah. it's going to get cold at times. There's definitely times for it to go bad, but you also have that nice little bodies of water right there too. Right. Shaping your temperatures and that. But regardless of fact. Yeah. It, it, that's how it is. Right now, it's 57 degrees Fahrenheit there. Oh, I'll take that over what we got right now. So, I mean, it's not too bad here, but yeah. <laughs> so that's what it was today. But yes, it, so we talk about that and he goes, oh, it's purdied up. But he mm -hmm. talks about that in the guise of who is this child? And he makes a very important note here. Mm -hmm. He says that this is the son, not a son. Yes, it's the. Yep. Yeah, not one of many. Or <laughs> Well, the terminology is kind of important or just in in the yeah. reason is is and talks about that further down the page here on 55 he mm -hmm. says jewish jewish theology used it and the it was the phrase son of god as a title for the expected human messiah mm -hmm. greek mythology told of many sons of gods 
Mm-hmm. Superman born of a union between a god and a human. In neither of these cases did the phrase convey the thought of personal deity. And what he's talking about here is that Jesus is human, but he also has personal deity. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he says this makes it clear in the book of John, uh, chapter one, that Jesus has a matter of personal deity. So that's why he said that that phrase, the son, son of God, is important because of how it was used in the cultural context of the time in which the book was written. Ooh. It Depending on yeah. who you talk to, it displayed a very specific meaning. Again, for the Jews, it meant a human Messiah. Yeah. For the Greek, it was the union between a God and man. man. And the fact that as you read through the Greek, all the Greeks didn't have their personal deity as he as he talks about. He says that all these all these people, you know, all these these half breeds essentially, they're half God, half human. They only added up to hundred percent, whereas Jesus himself had added yes. up to two hundred percent. Essentially, right. he was hundred percent man, hundred percent human. He hundred percent. Deity and yes, I, yes. <laughs> my brain got um, a little ahead of itself yeah, no. and, and, and does that. Um, the phrase I think you were looking for earlier because of that 200% thing and also this here. Does the statement that Jesus is God's son mean that there are really two gods? Is Christianity then polytheistic as Jews and Muslims maintain? Or does the phrase son of God imply, imply that Jesus, though in a class by himself among created beings, was not personally divine in the same sense as the Father is? And then that's when they talk about some of these early church thoughts and that and about how God, and they're trying to reconcile how Jesus could be fully man and fully divine all at the same time. And then what he does is he transitions into this phrase here. He transitions into... The book of John, chapter one. I don't know if you caught that or not on page 56. He says this, God's word in the Old Testament is his creative utterance, his power in action fulfilling his purpose, right? The Old Testament depicted God's utterance, the actual statement of his purpose as having power in itself to affect the thing purposed. And then he goes, then he goes through this. He goes, all right, in, in the book of John, 1 John, right here, or John 1, excuse me, not 1 John, John 1. He goes, in the beginning was the word. Where is it going to John? See these seven points that he has? Yeah. These are seven points that he pulls from the first book of John. The first. Ooh, I'm sorry. Okay. The first 14 verses of John. He goes, in the beginning was the word. Yeah. Again, we, we, we talked about earlier, God's word in the Old Testament is his creative utterance, right? Mm-hmm. And the word was with God. And the word was God. Mm-hmm. And then it skips down two verses. Through him, all things were made. Through him, who is him in this case? The word. In him was life. Who is him again? The word. Mm-hmm. And that life was the light of men. And then in verse 14, the word became flesh. Here's the word incarnate. Mm -hmm. The baby at the manger at Bethlehem was none other than the eternal word of God. So what John he's saying is John's doing is he's going, taking a step by step. He's saying, this is who Jesus is. He's God's word. This is, and he's tying it back. He's saying this this is his power. This is what his role is. This is mm-hmm. what he's doing. He's calling out specifically, the son of God is the word of God. Yes. We see what the word is. Well, that is what the son is. Therefore, or it says when, therefore, the Bible proclaims Jesus as the son of God. The statement is meant as an assertion of his distinct personal deity. And then he continues on here mm-hmm. talking about this. He says, the word had become flesh a real human baby. In other words, this isn't God minus some elements of his deity, but God plus all that he had made his own mm-hmm. by taking manhood. And I love this statement, and it, it puts some things into perspective because, you know, people always go, well, how, how, how do we know that, that Jesus was tempted, you know? And he go, he, this is, I like this statement here. It's on page 57. It says, he 
who made the angels who became, or excuse me, he who made the angel who became the devil was now in a state in which he could be tempted by the devil. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was one line. I was just like, <laughs> man, why, why did you say, and man? Yeah. The one thing I had underlined to, uh, was that he was no less God than, than, than before. Um, which is just right above where you were. It was, uh, so the baby born at Bethlehem was God made man. The word had become flesh, which you'd said a real human baby. He had not ceased to be God. He was no less God than then before. It's weird. I've never yeah. used then then like that. Mm. British. <sighs> Gotta give the British thing. Speak American. I'm, <laughs> I'm kidding. So the last thing that I kind of took a lot, uh, took, uh, uh, I guess, a line to, uh, underline to, mm-hmm. not a line to, like cross out, but like a yeah. line to, uh, it's on page 61. And this is a continuation of that whole kenosis thing. Yeah. Okay. And where he's talking, he goes, well, the gospel themselves presents evidence against the kenosis theory. I was like, oh, really? Okay. Let's see how. He goes, it is true that Jesus's knowledge of things, both human and divine, was sometimes limited. All right. Which, you know, for me goes, wait, that points to kenosis. That would point to it, yeah. Yeah, that's that's what I was like, wait a minute, this points to kenosis. Um, Hello? Mm -hmm. He goes, he asks occasionally for information. For example, who touched my clothes? How many loaves do you have? But other times he displays supernatural knowledge. And I don't know... I haven't done a deep dive into those verses, but I remember taking my New Testament classes. I remember learning from a bunch of people. Those aren't so much the who touched my clothes, how many loaves you have. Those aren't so much like, oh, I am dumb and I don't know this information. No. It it was more like giving the person who touched your clothes like a chance, not not to repent, but to be like display come forward. Yeah. Do they have the faith or not to come forward? The the loaves thing wasn't so much uh, oh I I know you have those, but how many loaves do you have? It, it was more like that. It was more like, I'm inviting you to see the miracle that I'm about to have by asking you, how many loaves do you have? Oh, you only have five? Watch what I'm about to do. With yeah, that. watch what I'm about to do. Not in a self-bragging, grandiosa way, but more along the lines of, hey, look. Yeah. Just so you're aware, this is what's happening. So I disagree with Pe- with his assertion here yeah. that that is, in fact, and this is just my personal thing. I, I do hold to some of the kenosis theory in, in that regard um, with some of that restraint in that. But that that's one of those things of I'm not I'm not like a hold fast to kenosis thing. That's a eh, it makes kind of sense for me, but I can be easily persuaded away with evidence one way or the other. Yeah. You know, that was one. Well, as you were just kind of describing how. Yeah, uh, how Jesus didn't. It's not that he didn't actually know, or that whole thing. That's how I've always heard it, kind of taught. Where it's like whenever something like that was brought up, where it's like, oh, Jesus didn't know, or he wanted to know who, yeah, touched, touched him or whatnot. It was they were always like he actually knew. It was yeah, just giving them an opportunity. So that's yeah. how I've always been taught that stuff. Yep. So to hear this whole thing about him, like he, he didn't actually know, which is, I guess would be weird. And I don't know, I guess how, especially that could be legitimate, especially. So, so here's how, so uh, to give Packer uh-huh. credit yeah, and to explain how it may be legitimate according to his own thinking. Okay. Yeah. So he doesn't, First off, he doesn't go with the kenosis theory at all. He, he's right, like, no, no, no kenosis. Uh-uh. However, at the bottom of 61 and part, part, top part of 62, he talks about how Jesus willingly limits his knowledge and powers and abilities. Not that he empties himself, but willingly limits them. Right. He also talks an alternate idea on page 62 that he has the ability to know these things, but God the Father wills it that he doesn't, so therefore he doesn't know those things. So that's another alternative explanation he gives as well on page 62. So I'm like, so you're trying to make this long, complicated way around kenosis. Okay, got it. Yeah. I get it. You don't like it. 
I, I understand. That's okay. Mm-hmm. That is okay. You can not like it all you want. But yeah, really, chapter five really comes back to the heart of the fact that the incarnation is true through a virgin birth. It, it does not make Jesus the second God. It makes him the second part of the triune God. Really what he's talking about here, and he's trying to simplify down, but it doesn't necessarily do in chapter six is it really a continuation of chapter five mm-hmm. is he's trying to simplify the concept of the Trinity. Uh-huh. And <laughs> what? I just find it funny trying to simplify the concept of the Trinity. I'm like, Egh. Makes it all the more confusing. Yeah. I guess and to some degree, it's like, I guess then what do I really understand of the Trinity other than it's three in one? Well, and remember, each so have their own role. So remember, and, the, yeah. and here we were talking about Jesus is the word. Mm-hmm. Well, now we're going to talk about chapter six. Unless you have anything this, else, chapter five. No, no. Okay. In chapter no, six, he talks about how the Holy Spirit is the breath. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to read you the AI summary of chapter six first. Please do. Okay. Uh, This one was generated by Notions AI. uh, Or excuse me, this This was Chat Chat GPT. Sorry, not Notion. The first one was Notion Notion. AI. This one's Chat GPT. In chapter six of Knowing God, Packer discusses the importance of the Holy Spirit in the Christian life. He argues that the Holy Spirit is not simply a force or power, but rather a person who is a member of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is is responsible for the new birth, which is the beginning of the Christian life. Packer also discusses the role of the Holy Spirit in sanctification. He explains that the Holy Spirit helps Christians to grow in their faith and become more like Christ. This process involves both putting off the old self and putting on the new self, which is made possible by the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Furthermore, Packer emphasizes that the Holy Spirit is essential for prayer. He explains that the Holy Spirit helps Christians to to pray according to God's will and gives them the words to say when they don't know how to pray. Mm -hmm. In conclusion, Packer argues that the Holy Spirit is a vital aspect of the Christian life. Without the Holy Spirit, Christians cannot be born again, cannot grow in their faith, and cannot pray effectively. Yeah, the Spirit's pretty important. Yep. Now, (laughs) compared to chapter five, this one's definitely a lot shorter. Yeah. uh, Being only seven pages in total. Yes. Uh, It's definitely less thick. It's less meaty. It's it's definitely uh, all that. But he talks about right away. He goes, talks about the Trinity. He goes, Trinitas is a Latin word meaning threeness. And And he goes, it is often assumed that the doctrine of the Trinity just because it is mysterious is a piece of theological lumber that we can get on very happily without. Mm -mm. And I'm like, no, no, it is very important. (laughs) Yep. And going through it, um, he, he does say that on uh, page 66 under the heading third person, Mm -hmm. he talks about how the Holy spirit is, a comforter, and then he says, depending on the translation, uh, it could be counselor, helper, advocate, befriend you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be all those things. But he goes, but it's another comforter. He goes, Jesus was the original comforter, and the newcomer's task was to continue this side of his ministry. I was like, all right, I, I get what you're saying, you know. Mm-hmm. And if you look at, for example, the ESV, the ESV does. Uh, uh, he says Mofat, but that's helper as well. Okay. That's funny. Is because yeah I, <laughs> this did make me just think of um a lot of the, the the book that we uh I read with Ben and stuff like that and the little small group because it did uh have a section where it talked about the spirit a little bit and the importance of the spirit and that was as it said in the chat GPT thing, one of the I guess, like, going back and looking through, I had listed, like, the, uh, I guess, the jobs of the Holy Spirit, what it does for us and stuff, well, what the Spirit does for us. And when I came across the one where it, uh, for prayer, where it's like, it can, you know, when we don't have the words to say, it can communicate that to God and stuff like that. I was just like, oh, 
<laughs> like I never knew that aspect about about the spirit. I, was, I thought that was really cool because there's a lot of times if I go into prayer, I'm just like, man, I don't even know where to go right now. <laughs> yep. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, we'll we'll get Help. we'll get into more <laughs> topic about that in a minute here. Yeah. So something else I found interesting uh, in page sixty-seven, he says this: mm -hmm. in the Old Testament, God's word and God's spirit are parallel figures. God's word is his almighty speech. God's spirit is his almighty breath. Both phrases convey the thought of his power in action. You know, it says the speech and the breath of God appear together in the record of creation. The spirit breath of God was hovering over the waters and God said, and there was. This is back in Genesis 1, 2 through 3. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made their starry host by the breath, spirit of his mouth. Psalm 33, 6. And then I, I, I underlong, un, underlong, <laughs> underlined. <laughs> underlined this. John's gospel shows how Christ related the Spirit's mission to the will and purpose of the Father and the Son. And I wrote this in my notes as well. I said, this has implications, Spirit, breath. Look all the way back in Genesis 1. God spoke and things were created. Mm -hmm. And when he created man, he breathed into him the breath of life. These things were from the beginning. It just says John showed the word was Jesus. He's also showing that the spirit, the breath also has its own distinct personality mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. And then I'd like how he emphasizes this. If the ministry of Christ, the comforter was important, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the new comforter can scarcely be less important. So if the Holy Spirit is sent as the new comforter, right? Mm -hmm. Then the mission of the Holy Spirit can't be less than of importance than the mission, mission and ministry of Christ before him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just taking his place while he is now, in a sense, separated from us. Yep. And I actually chuckled at this line. The person and work of Christ have been and remain subjects of constant debate within the church. Yet the person and work of the Holy Spirit are largely ignored. The doctrine of the Holy Spirit is the Cinderella of Christian doctrine. Calling back to that classic tell tale of Cinderella, uh, stepmother, stepsisters, and that. <laughs> and he says, the average Christian deep down is in complete fog as to what the Holy Spirit does. And like you were saying, you, you wrote down what the Spirit does in your book. And that is a thing. If I'm being 100% honest, you know, that I, I see a lot of churches, I guess, devalue right. the Spirit. And it was, and okay, I'm, 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 I'm choosing my words carefully here. Because I'm not trying to be like, not, not trying to start anything, not to, to do anything, right? Too late. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, it, it was when I changed churches recently, mm -hmm. it was a completely different experience, let's say. First off. Different atmosphere. First off. Yeah. Well, yes, different atmosphere. Yeah. Um First off, you know, it's it was completely weird not being behind like a board or yeah. an instrument doing something. Okay? Doing doing a task, yeah. It, it was completely different doing that. But at the same time, one of the things I noticed the first week there, and I'll admit, for me personally, mm -hmm. it was a little uncomfortable the first time. <laughs> you know, like, they're like, because every church I've been to before, they always do the, okay, come, Holy Spirit, blah, blah, blah. You know, but it's maybe in a prayer that they mm -hmm. say that. But this was, uh, no, we're going to actually spend time inviting the Holy Spirit to come and move and help us to pray. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> it, it was different. It, you know, yeah. something that is definitely not, I guess you could say the, it's, I'm not saying it's not present in all churches. I'm just saying how it's addressed is sometimes different. And it's, a culture shock for me yeah, to have it so direct, let's say, right, as opposed to other places where maybe it's talked about in a study group, but not talked about really anywhere else. That's yeah. And that's funny. Cause that's, that's something that my dad is 
always stressed about. He's like, when it comes to the spirit, it's just not talked about, which I did find funny how it does this have this section where it's divine yet ignored. Yeah. And it's talking about the importance of the spirit's work. And I was like, oh, I wonder where my dad got that from. <laughs> well, I guess it might not have just been through here, but yeah. And that's definitely like the more I paid attention to that, I was like, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, how often I've ever heard either one, the spirit being talked about, but then it's like when there are the times that he is mentioned, I'm like, oh. it's like, I make sure to pay attention a little bit more in that, in yeah. that instant. Yeah. It, or, Cause it, it's, it's like, it's not something that I'm, I'm normally in tune to hear. So I'm like, yeah. Hmm. And like I said, that has been a very big culture change for me mm-hmm. because every first off, it's a, it's a culture change because, Literally, and again, not trying to throw no. shade or anything nope. here, okay? It's it's just a different way that the different churches operate, okay? Um, literally, no matter what the topic is, so for example, today's topic was on how Christians uh, should respond to the government according to Romans 13. Mm-hmm. But even with all that going on, they still threw in the gospel message, and that has happened every week I've been there. Hmm. Okay. Every yeah. week I have, since I started going there, they're always asking for the spirit to come and move and to help. It's just a completely different atmosphere. Yeah. It's completely different in the fact that, like I said, you know, coming from that more conservative Baptist background, that wasn't something that happened that often, to be honest. So yeah. it's taken me a little time to... And kind adjust of adjust to that. adjust to it, yeah. But at the same time, I'm realizing it's not a thing where they're theologically out of whack or anything with it. And maybe it's like, okay, maybe this is just something I haven't learned fully through mm-hmm. various things. And so I'm like taking the time to kind of sit back and reflect on these things. So that's, that's why, awesome. I, and then, and then we read this and, divide, yeah. and I'm like, seriously, okay, <laughs> I get the point. <laughs> I get the point. That's funny. And I, and I find some of now, okay. The next couple of things I'm going to say are mm-hmm. interesting because I, I'm like, Packer, are you losing some of your Calvinistic ways? Oh. <laughs> and then chapter seven goes and decimates that thought. <laughs> oh, dang, yeah. I actually wrote in the, in the edge of my book, or my book right here, not very Calvinist. So let's talk about what that is. Yes. <laughs> so on page 69, he says this statement, which I think is interesting. He goes, without the Holy Spirit, there would be no gospel and no New Testament. He then goes on to say, without the Holy Spirit, there would be no faith and no new birth. In mm-hmm. short, no, no Christians. Christians. Yep. And he's talking about this, and he says a bunch of other stuff. He goes, like, nobody can prove the truth of Christianity except the Holy Spirit. Uh, he also says other things, right, about the Spirit abides with the church to testify of Christ. To the apostles, he testified by revealing and inspiring, as we saw. To the rest of us, down the ages, he testifies by by illuminating, opening blinded eyes, restoring spiritual vision, enabling sinners to see the gospels and deeds, God truth. And the line that made me underline and say, not very Calvinist of you, he goes, people come to faith when the gospel is preached, but without the spirit, there would be, there would not be a Christian in the world. I wrote that originally saying, not very Calvin. As I've thought upon it more, pondered on it more, it still fits in the Calvinistic stylings. Yeah. Because, and, and I'll have to, I, I guess, I guess you could say, issue a retraction of my thing of like, oh, when before when we talked about the five points of Calvin mm-hmm. right, and told a private, I was like, oh, I can get behind that, right? Doing a little bit more digging, I'm like, no, I can't even get behind that one now. Because total depravity states that we are in such a state that even if we wanted to believe Unless the spirit, and we were chosen ahead of time, regenerates us, we can't believe. That's. And so I'm like, so when I originally read this, I was like, oh, that's very, not very Calvinist of you. And then I reread it again, and I'm thinking on it and I'm processing. I'm like, it's still, Calvinist. still very Calvinistic. I'm like, oh, you almost had me, Packer. You almost <laughs> had me give, have hope for you. <laughs> again, that's an internal debate. That's a secondary yeah. issue. That's not a primary right. issue. 
And primary issues are a lot more gospel message. Gospel message and biblical interpretation of things or trying to add things in that the Bible doesn't say and you want it to say it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's a definitely a secondary thing, at least from my perspective. Mm-hmm. So those are the things I took away and I was like, all right, the spirit does a lot of work. Yeah. He doesn't get yeah. enough credit. And then he gets a seven page chapter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, Which, Packer. And, and yeah, say in, um, in relation to the other stuff, it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> so was there anything in chapter six that stood out to you, sir, that I didn't cover, no, I didn't pick up, I didn't nah, uh, nah. highlight or expound upon? or As soon as you went into the whole, the, uh, nor is this all. In the second place, without the Holy Spirit, there would be no faith and no new birth. So, yeah, that was the big thing. I was just like, <laughs> Ouch. Yeah. Yeah. The it, spirit is uh, very indeed important. Just, I don't know. Stuff blows my mind. Well, that's a good thing at times to blow your mind. Sometimes. <laughs> In a good way, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I thought of a very dark joke, but I'll leave it for off, <laughs> off the mic. I said dark. I didn't say anything else. I said dark. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Mr. Johnson, is there anything else that you want to say about these two lovely chapters that we have listened to or read, not listened to? I feel better now. You feel better now, huh? Yeah, I know this morning you're kind of feeling a little friggin' PO'd this morning. And hey, again, that was more just at myself more than anything. It's not Packard's fault. It's my fault. Well, I mean, try and do homework at the last minute. Again, I guess going back into the lack thereof of just knowing things that you'd imagine most people probably have an, an idea for what things are. I'm just like, you know what? You're nope. assuming a lot of things that people know things when they really don't. I mean, I guess so. <laughs> I guess I do assume. Yeah, I definitely assume that. Yeah, I, I know you do. <laughs> what do you mean? So, uh, all right, sir. Yeah. Oh, well, um. <sighs> We'll continue to look forward to the next one. Yeah. <laughs> Four chapters for the next month in March. Something like that. Yeah. They're, they're relatively, I would imagine. Yeah. Well, the first starting in part two. Yeah. It's very quick. And then we get to hear what Aaron's next book for his book club is. I can't wait to hear what it is. All the large lengthy words. No. The thick, girthy sentences. Going to like the Bernstein Bears or something. I don't know. <laughs> Aaron jumped over the cloudy fox. 